Uh, I didn't get to see earlier um, when Hope was asking who has got into Christmas already. Who's, who's put any decorations up? You've done yours? Yeah? You've done your decorations? No? Not so sure? Is it too soon? It's a bit of a tricky weekend, isn't it? Because um, it's like the first came on a Sunday, so we feel kind of caught out. And this is awful. This is a terrible thing for any parent to admit, but we haven't even like got our advent calendars in already, and it's the first December. So like, um, I think I'm going to have to pay some kind of fine in extra chocolate. Um, have you all got advent calendars? Who's got? Yes, I knew you'd have an advent calendar, Holly. There's no way you were not going to have an advent calendar. You didn't get one last year. Oh, really? Was there some kind of confusion over whose responsibility it was? Now, I see. <laughs> Anyone else got advent calendars? Advent calendars. You know, I, I remember, some of you may not, some of you, some of you do, but some of you may not remember these days, but I remember when advent calendars used to be um, a picture. You didn't, get, you didn't get a chocolate, you didn't get any, you know, nowadays you can get like perfume advent calendars or jewellery advent calendars. Um, <laughs> you want one of those? You've got one of those, okay. Um, but you know, like... Back in the day, it was like you opened, you opened, you got all excited still, and you opened the, the little cardboard window, and it was a picture of a Christmas scene. You were like, what am I going to get today? Is it Santa Claus? And on, on like the last day, it would be like the nativity scene. Um, and that was like really exciting back in the day. Um, so um, how about, it probably is too soon for this. Although next week, young adults Christmas dinner. Yeah, pro- possibly the first, is that going to be the first one? First Christmas dinner? Yeah. Yeah. None of you are doing Christmas parties already. But, but we like, we, you know, we're getting into the Christmas season. Um, I love Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas. I love everything about um, Christmas. So I thought it would be good to think a little bit about Christmas um, this evening. Any of you done your Christmas shopping yet? Yes. Okay. So a few, so a few of you getting into the Christmas um, spirit. Um, Christians, of course, have used the Christmas festival, the Christmas season, for um, centuries to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Um, the trouble is, sometimes, I think, because we're kind of like, you know, we're good Christians and we don't want to be too commercial, so we pretend that we're not enjoying all the other stuff too much and, and we remember to put the Christ back in Christmas. Um, but the danger is that we kind of turn Christmas into Jesus' birthday. And it's kind of like, because we know that there's supposed to be like a religious element to it somewhere, it's like, oh, that's nice, isn't it? It's Jesus' birthday. I don't know if any, any of you ever sung happy birthday to Jesus on Christmas Day. Yep, there's people here who've done it. Um, I, you know, I hate to break it to you. Um, we don't actually know when Jesus' birthday was, and it probably wasn't. There's a, 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 a 364 and 365 chance that it wasn't Christmas Day. But, but there you go. Um, but yeah, there's a bit of a danger, isn't there, that, that Christmas becomes for us. It's, it's nice, isn't it? It's a nice scene, the nativity scene. Um, it's kind of cool. It's, it's, it's almost a bit like a fairy tale really, isn't it? It's just this nice, this nice story, and it's sweet, and it's nice. Um, and the kids come out, and um, you guys, um, the, the first Sunday merged with the central community on the 15th of December, get to watch, 
I think they changed the name to Modu because the, in, the, in the original script it's Josie, but the, the, guy, the, the person playing it is called Modu. So um, <laughs> Modu and the Jingalicious Christmas something or other, some kind of nativity gone slightly wild um, at, at the meeting at 10.30 on Sunday the 15th. And it'll be nice and all the kids will be out and they'll be singing and, and I'm sure there'll be baby Jesus in this. I'm hoping there'll be baby Jesus in there somewhere. But I'd love us just to look a little bit again at the significance um, of God um, coming to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, because it's actually totally amazing, totally amazing. And this is our gospel. This is what we're all about. This is the truth that has changed our lives. This is the truth that we proclaim, that we represent as, as the church, as a community of God's people. So um, we're going to take a little bit of a tour um, through the Bible. So Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the beginning, God created the earth, and out of darkness, out of emptiness, it was, it was void, it was, there was nothing, and yet God was hovering. The Spirit of God was hovering, ready to breathe life ready to bring life and light into our world. And he spoke, the word came, and there was light. And the earth began to be created, and he brought forth the, the, the land, and he brought forth the, the plants, and the animals, and the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air. And he made this beautiful creation to express something of his creativity, and his glory, and his wonder. He created this beautiful creation. And then on the sixth day, it says, in verse 26... Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God Almighty, the creator God, the eternal God of all the universe, who makes the heavens and the earth, He says, I want to have human beings, sons and daughters that look like me. I'm going to create humanity in my own image, in our own image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the eternal community of the Trinity. They say, we want people that look like us. They've got this beautiful creation. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this beautiful creation. And it it reflects the glory of God and the beauty of God. And, and yet he says, I want, I want human beings to look like me. He says, so he creates them in their image so that they may rule. Creates them to be like God so that they may rule. So that they may have dominion. So that they may bring his rule and reign into this beautiful creation. He says, I really love this creation. I really love what I've done. He keeps saying again and again and again, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he says, 
But I want, I want humanity. I want human beings. I want men and women that are like me so that they can rule over my creation. And so in verse 27, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, God loves humanity. God loves us. God loves men and women. He made us in his image. And, and after every other thing that he created, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. But he made humanity and he said, it's very good. It's very good. I'm pleased, I'm delighted with, with, with my children that I've made in my image. And now I want you to go and I want you to take all that is good and beautiful and awesome and glorious about me. And I want you to fill the whole world with that. Because I don't want to have this just to myself. I don't want to have this just to, 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 to us. Although he's not lonely. He's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He already exists in community. And yet he's decided I want people like me to bring my rule to the ends of the earth. And we just took the special offering for um, the different nations, Pioneer International, and, and uh, you may have picked out on the video, there are a couple of places they mentioned were Kenya and Zambia. And on Saturday, um, I'm about to, some of you will have got the email that's sent out, I'm about to travel to, um, Ke- to Zambia and then to Kenya um, on behalf of Pioneer. And it was um, on this particular trip, Pioneer um, paid for me, uh, paying for me to go, but they said to me, if you want to take someone else from the church, they'll need to raise their own funds. And never had the opportunity to do this before, but on this occasion I said, well, if they've got to raise their own funds, I asked Luke, my son, do you want to you know, raise your own funds and come with me on this trip? And he was like, yeah, I really want to do that. And I am so excited as a dad to be going and taking my son with me. I've done this like many years, over the years. I've gone to different countries, gone to different places on behalf of the church, gone with different people at different times. The first opportunity to actually involve one of my children in something that I'm doing like that and to get to go out there, I know he's going to have an amazing experience. I'm excited about him seeing what the church is doing in another part of the world. Excited to be able to share moments of ministry together. He's going to preach the gospel in one of the slums in um, Nairobi and he's like completely scared stiff and I'm like, in fact, if you got that email, um, I didn't actually tell him before I sent the email that he was going to be preaching. Um, so he like sent me um, a picture on WhatsApp of, the, of a screenshot of the email saying, this is news to me. Um, so, but it's like, I'm so proud just that he's coming with me, and I'm so excited just to be doing something with my son. Um, and I'm just a human father. But that's how God feels, and more, about humanity. He's like, I don't want to just do this on my own. I want to involve my children in what I'm doing. He doesn't need us, but he loves us. He delights in us. He loves us being part of what he's doing. He loves including us in bringing his rule and his reign, his beautiful kingdom, his righteousness, his peace, his joy, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his grace and his justice to the ends of the earth. He loves it when we're a part of that. Because, you know, 
most of you, if not all of you, you know the story, you know what happens. It's only a couple of chapters later in Genesis chapter 3. And we're reading about the fall. We're reading about our decision as humanity to go our own way rather than God's way. We're reading about a tree of knowledge of good and evil and the temptation that came through the serpent, the devil. And and he's like saying to us, God doesn't really want you to be like him. And and why don't you decide for yourselves? He he tempts us to eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil where where we say we want to know, we want to be the judge, we want to be God basically. We want to decide what's right and what's wrong. We reject our relationship with God. And in that moment, as we reject God's way, as we say we know best, we'll go our own way, we'll do our own thing, what we're actually rejecting, we're rejecting him and we're rejecting his purpose for our lives. So the plan of God becomes frustrated in that moment. It doesn't become ruined, but it becomes frustrated. It becomes frustrated because how can, how can we be part of bringing this beauty and this glory and this submission and this obedience and everything being just the way God wants it to be when we're rejecting that rule and authority for ourselves? But God's purpose carried on. God didn't give up on his desire for humanity. He loves us so much So much that he would not cast aside his plan and his purpose to have men and women rule and reign with him. And so we read this in Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory in the heavens. And through the prayings of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the work, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? Amazing, isn't it? David says in the psalm here is like, when I think about the, the, the immensity of, of the heavens, of the stars and the sky, when I think about the scale of the universe, when I realize what a, a tiny little speck our planet is in comparison to just the, the, just the huge scale of the universe, why on earth would you be interested in humanity? Why on earth would you care about us. Why are you so obsessed with us, God, creator of the universe? Why would you care for us so much? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Why do you care about humanity so much that you would honor human beings? That you would crown them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild. The birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. And all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And, and David's saying, what is it with you, God? You've created this beautiful creation. You've made it perfect and 
And you could have had it filled with, with justice and peace and righteousness and glory and goodness. And, and nothing would get in the way of your beauty and magnificence. But you decided because you loved humanity so much. I don't want to just do that on my own. I want my children to do that. I want men and women to rule over my creation. Why are you so committed to that, Lord? And of course, the Old Testament shows us again and again and again how as humanity, we keep failing to do that. And and yet God makes a promise and he says, I am going to restore this purpose. And just one example of that is in Isaiah chapter 9. This should start to feel Christmassy. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It says a son is going to be born, a child is going to be born, a son is going to be given. And God is going to put this rule and this reign, this kingdom on his shoulders. And it says the government will be on his shoulders. You know, we're not talking about the general election, okay? Um, thankfully, there's, there's not a Christian party that we can vote for. I say that because we're never going to accomplish God's kingdom through just political systems. I'm not saying that God can't work through politics. Of course he can, and he does. And God actually seems to work through having... Followers of him, children, spirit-filled believers in all the different political parties. And it just goes to show that that Christians can't agree on what the right thing to do politically is either. Um, But God will work through servants, men and women, in all kinds of political contexts. That's a great thing. But but nevertheless, we're not going to achieve God's kingdom by just kind of like human politics. But he says, on Jesus, on his shoulders, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it possible for this kingdom that I've, that I've been, you know, always purposed for you to be a part of. I'm going to make that a possibility again. The kingdom of God is what Jesus preached about all the time. It's the gospel that he proclaimed. When he burst onto the scene in our world, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God's rule, his love, his justice, his peace, his righteousness. And that's why he went around healing the sick. You see, what, what is sickness? Well, well, sickness is ultimately, thankfully it doesn't always end this way immediately, but it, it's working towards death, isn't it? If there was no death, there'd be no sickness. And there's death because of, I'm not talking about as a direct result of that person's sin, but there is death because of sin. There's brokenness, there's sick, it, because of sin in general in our world, because we're fallen, because our world is broken, because we rejected the rule and reign of God. But Jesus goes around and he heals the sick. 
and he raises the dead and he casts out demons. And he says, if I'm casting out demons by the spirit of God, then this is the evidence that the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's come near to you. It's possible in your world. And this is why the birth of Jesus is so, so significant. You see, Jesus does not come just as God as some kind of angelic being or some kind of ethereal presence moving in our world. But God comes to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, born in the flesh, born as humanity. You see, this is so significant because God doesn't say, do you know what the problem is? That humanity has made a mess of this kingdom purpose, so I'll have to sort it out as God, and we'll just forget about humanity. But God is so committed to his kingdom coming through humanity, but knows that we're making a mess of it humanity, as humanity, that he says, I'll become humanity. I'll become a human And as a human, I will live a perfect life of the kingdom. As a human, not, you see, God, of course Jesus is God. We know that Jesus is God. But he laid aside his privileges, his, his, his rights as God. And he took on flesh and became a human and lived his life in the anointing of the Holy Spirit with all the same limitations that you and I have. He became completely human. He was a genuine human. And he was anointed with the Holy Spirit in the same way that we can be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he did miracles in the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the same way that we can do miracles. So all the way that Jesus lived is a a genuine example for us. It's not a fake or a trick example. It's not an unfair example. But he lived as humanity. And he lived a sinless life as humanity. And he perfectly lived in obedience to God as humanity. And he worked out the rule and reign of God on earth as humanity. And he overcame the power of the devil as humanity. Isn't that amazing? That he actually made it, that sin came into the world through the first Adam, but the Bible describes Jesus as the last Adam. Because as as a man, as a human, he won this amazing victory over sin and death and made the rule and reign of God a possibility in our world. And this is what we're celebrating at Christmas time. It's the incarnation. It's God becoming human. It's God being so committed to humanity and loving humanity so much, loving his children so much that he says, I'm not just going to wipe them out and forget about them and go back to doing it all on my own, but as humanity, I will rescue the world. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 2. And from verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, and we just read it. 
I love it that the writers of the Hebrews couldn't remember which scripture um, he was quoting because it gives hope for all of us. He says, there is a place where someone has testified. It's Psalm 8. Um, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Sometimes we mistake the first part of this passage in Hebrews as talking about Jesus, because it says Son of Man. But the whole point of Jesus being the Son of Man is that he came to do what he did as humanity. But what he's saying here is he's quoting Psalm 8, which is clearly about the fact that God has subjected the world to the rule of humanity. That we're supposed to bring the rule and reign of God into our world. He says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. We see Jesus who came and lived on the earth as a human being. We see his life. We see the life that he lived on earth. We see the life that he lived as a human and it fills us with hope. It provides us a perfect example. You see, so often we we think of the fact, oh, Jesus died for us. But before Jesus died for us, Jesus lived for us. Jesus lived as a human being, lived in perfect relationship with God, lived in submission to him, healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, preached the good news of God's rule and reign breaking into our world. Who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Amazing. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus gives us this example of a perfect kingdom life, and he invites us 
as his brothers and sisters to be part of what we were always made to be part of, to be restored to God's kingdom purpose, that we too might preach the good news of God's rule and reign, that we too might demonstrate his um, power over sickness and over death, that we too might stand up for justice and righteousness, that you might have courage, that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit and share the gospel with your friends, with your neighbors, with your colleagues, that you might be filled with courage and you might pray for the sick and see them recover. That you might pray and and see people set free from demonic oppression in their lives. That you would be part of what you were always destined to be a part of. You see, the kingdom of God is like Christmas. Now, I've stole this illustration from someone I heard it off a couple of days ago. And at least the first couple of times, you have to credit an illustration. So I got it from Julian and Sarah Richards from Cornerstone Church in Swansea. But it's mine now. Um, So this is probably the last time I'll credit it to anyone else. Um, The kingdom of God is like Christmas. You see, we know that the kingdom is going to come in all of its fullness when Jesus comes again. So we could say, um, you know what? We know that we're not going to get all of the kingdom. We know we're not going to get every sickness healed and, 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 and no one dying ever again and every tear wiped away from every eye and everything made perfectly new. And We know this glorious fullness of the kingdom that the, that the Bible has set before us. We know that that's going to come in all of its fullness when Jesus comes again. So we could say, well, we're just going to have to wait for Jesus to come again. But that would be like saying, no mince pies... No Christmas dinners, no quality street, no Christmas parties, no decorations, no Christmas tree until the 25th of December. How sad would that be? (laughs) That's supposed to make you sad. (laughs) Stop ruining my illustrations. You know, that would be sad if you couldn't go to a single Christmas party until if you were like, no, it's only on the day. It's only a, it's, if you were so miserable, such a Scrooge, <laughs> that you were like, only between midnight and midnight on the 25th of December, that's the only time you're allowed to celebrate Christmas. The whole point of Christmas, I think this, this country does it really well. We go wild for Christmas. We love Christmas. We get excited about it. We anticipate it. And we, we have parties and we celebrate and we eat even turkey and like loads of times in December. Never at any other time of year, but all the way through December. We eat the same meal again and again at different functions. And because we get excited and we celebrate and we anticipate. And the kingdom of God is supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be living permanently in the advent of the kingdom. Because advent is talking about the coming of Jesus. And actually, originally, when the first the word was started to be used, it used to be in the context of the second coming. That Christians first started talking about the advent of Christ. They were talking about his second coming. And then at some stage, it became associated with celebrating the first coming of Christ at Christmas. But that's kind of neat, because we're living in this overlap between the two. And we're living in the light, and we're so grateful, and we're celebrating the fact that Jesus has come And we know that he's coming again. But in the meantime, we're living in Advent. And so as we're celebrating Advent, as you open the little windows on your Advent calendar, whatever you might find inside, 
I want to challenge you this Advent to remember that the kingdom is coming and has now come. I want to remind you that actually, I want you to remember as you open your Advent calendar windows or as you um, go to a Christmas party maybe, or as you put decorations, as you see decorations maybe around your home, to remember we are celebrating that God's kingdom is coming and that we can live in it now. We're celebrating that we can live a life in obedience to God now. We're celebrating that we can heal the sick now. We're celebrating that we can have courage to share the good news of the gospel with our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues now. That we were lost to this plan and purpose of God. But God was so determined that humanity should rule and reign in the earth. That humanity humanity should be the ones that brought in the kingdom of God. That he became one of us. And that as one of us, God himself made it possible. God himself restored us as a human. I just feel so amazing, so committed is he to you as a human being that he wouldn't just do it as God, but he came to do it as a human to make it possible for us as humans to be part of this amazing kingdom. So happy Advent and have a happy Christmas and have a happy kingdom. 